Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to be here. God, I pray that you would just uh, be a blessing to us today, or bless us with truth and bless us with your word. Lord, I do thank you for the story of Saul, who we now know as Paul. Lord, I thank you for his conversion to Christianity. I thank you for his life and that, the fact that it's been recorded for us to read about. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, I'd like to answer a question today. And the question is, what do you do when you first become a Christian? What do you do? Okay. Um, not, <laughs> yeah, not what happens, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. What happens? And we talked about from the spiritual side, what God does. But what do you do? Um, what do you purpose to do? Last week, we ended in Acts chapter 9, verse 18 with uh, Saul uh, receiving his sight, and then he got baptized. So I guess you could almost say, and, and you don't need to write this down, but you could say, well, step one would be get baptized, and I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, once you're a Christian, one of the first things you ought to do is get baptized. Um, and then the rest of verse 19, we've got verse 19 that looks like this, and, and it says, in taking food, he was strengthened. And so this is why as Baptists, that's what we do next. We eat. Step two, get saved, start eating. No, that's, that's not right. Um, uh, the rest of that verse says, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and maybe you could say, well, step three would be fellowship. And that in and of itself, right there, there's some great things to learn. But what I'm really talking about is, uh, what, what's he going to do? What does Paul, Saul at this time, and I'm going to try to stick with calling him Saul because that's what his name is at this particular time, um, he's just gotten saved. He's been converted to the way, is what uh, it said in Acts. Uh, it's not called Christianity yet. They're not called Christians yet. They're just called people of the way. What's he going to do? Beyond those first steps of getting baptized, having a meal, and fellowshipping with other Christians, what does he do? And I think this is important for a lot of you. There's a lot of you in this room that I would say, to some degree or another, are fairly new as Christians, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? Some think that when once you become a Christian, well, you just keep doing what you're doing before, except you've got to be good now. I would say that probably most people, if they were thinking about what does a Christian do, they probably wouldn't put it that way, but that's what they would think. I'm all for absolutely, repent of your sin. But I think that there's so much more to what it means to be a Christian than simply saying, okay, I want to keep what I was doing before, except I got to stop all the bad stuff I was doing and start being good. Because way, way more than that. I want to kind of summarize what it means to be a Christian with describing us as now being witnesses. We're, we're, we're a witness to something. That's what being a Christian is really about. We're, we're saying that we believe... And it's been revealed to us, almost like Saul getting his sight, almost like Saul being blinded by the light. I think we're all witnesses to something. We believe that we've found something that's true. That 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus. This guy was God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life, never once sinned while he was on this planet. 
He was then crucified by his own people and by the Roman authorities on a cross and hung there until he died. We believe that the truth of that situation was more than just a human being dying, but it was God in the flesh dying. We believe that at that moment, those who would believe their sin, all of their sin was taken care of on the cross. We talked about this on Easter. It was expiated. Their sin was taken care of. All of God's wrath taken care of on the cross. That's an amazing truth. If that's true, which I think you probably believe it is. So we're witnesses to this. And so I think the question to ask then is, what do we do? Is It has to be founded in this reality that the, the being good part is more of a side effect to Christianity. But I think there is something that fundamentally changes about you when you witness something that's amazingly true. The first one is this. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Paul... Saul, I told you I was going to call him Saul. Saul, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Did he wait a little while? What does it say right there? Immediately. So let's let's give you these points. So we're taking a step beyond those fundamental steps of getting baptized and and fellowshipping with other Christians. We take a step beyond that. What does it mean to be a witness to something amazing? Think number one, point number one. I'm going to do the points as we go this time. Point number one. A true witness proclaims Jesus. When you've been a witness to something so amazing, isn't that what you do anyway? You ever seen something really amazing? And what do you, what's, what's one of the first things you do after you leave this amazing thing that you just saw? Don't you go and start telling people about it? Did somebody tell you, you have to go tell everybody about this? No, because it's just so amazing, you want to tell everybody about it. I've used the example quite often of of the beggar showing other beggars where there's bread. I mean, anytime you find something amazing, that's what we do. Especially if there's something in it, not just for you, but in it for everybody else. That's what we do. you got to check this out. And that's exactly what Saul does. He begins to proclaim Jesus, and that's what a witness does. If you're sitting here today and you really believe this whole Jesus business, one of the first things you ought to be doing is proclaiming Jesus. Not just proclaiming yourself, not just proclaiming, hey, be a good person. Right? You're proclaiming Jesus. Isn't Jesus amazing? Actually, let me ask that a different way. Let me just ask it. Isn't Jesus amazing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an amazing reality that we believe is, is true. We say that we are part of the way. What is the way? It's not just about a pattern of life. What is the way? The way is Jesus himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. So when we're going out, we're not trying to proclaim to people, here's a different way to live or a better way to live. What we're doing is we're saying, ultimately, Jesus like to introduce you to Jesus. The whole change of life becomes a consequence of meeting this person. And so that's what Saul does. He begins to proclaim. Verse 21 says, And all who, who heard him were amazed, as you would be. Let's enter into this story. 
Everybody would have known, most people would have known, and the rumors would have gone around who this Saul guy was. He's the guy that stood, I think, arms crossed as Stephen was stoned to death. People laying their coats at his feet, approving of this. He's the guy that, that you know, the, the wonder kid of Judaism that's gone to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and he's gotten permission from the priestly leaders. To, I need some official paperwork to say that I can go into other places in Israel and uh, capture some people, put them into prison, haul them back to Jerusalem so that they can be punished as well. This is Saul. And so now, can you imagine being in Damascus and knowing about who this Saul is? This makes absolute sense. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this this, the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Let me give you point number two. In proclaiming Jesus... A true witness validates Jesus with life change. A true witness is going to validate Jesus. Not just say these things, but you're going to start to notice, and I think people ought to be, to some degree or another, surprised. To some degree or another, amazed. Maybe you're a quiet person. But now you're caught talking about Jesus. Maybe you kind of keep to yourself, but now you're caught talking about Jesus because you, you, you can't hold it in. You've got to tell people about Jesus. You're not a religious person now. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that you've heard an amazing reality, amazing story, and you just have to tell it to people. And so you're telling people all the time, and people ought to be, to some degree or another, amazed at this change of life. For those of you that have been Christians for a long time, it's not as much about a change as it is about an ongoing amazement. This guy is just... And sometimes you have to tell people, if you would have known me before, you'd be amazed. It's precisely what I've heard so many older Christians have said. I wish you could have known me before because you'd be amazed. At, you know, we just see it as natural. You met some of these people that have been Christians for years, and you just think, they're just so gung-ho about Jesus. They're just out there, but they're proclaiming, they're talking about Him. They're living this life. And then they tell you, you go, you should have known me before. And you're going, yeah, right, you were probably always... No, they probably weren't. That could be you as well. That's your goal. That's your aim. To validate this Jesus in living a life that's changed. And I want to tell you today, it's not as much about an effort that you make, although that's something I could talk about for, for days. There's something about this that's just natural. When you believe, when you buy into this reality and you believe this story, it changes you. Now, we know as Christians that the real change comes from the power of the Spirit of God. But there's something just natural about the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God enters you, you're going to begin proclaiming, you're going to begin doing things that you wouldn't have done before. Saul wouldn't have been doing this. He was ready to kill these people. Now he's proclaiming these people. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I actually, I really love this because if you go back to the story of Stephen, one of the things that Stephen was doing, he was almost, almost word for word doing this exact same thing. Saul, in a very real sense, has now taken Stephen's place. I love that. Stephen was confounding people and he was able to stand up to their reasoning and explain who Jesus was, and Saul is now confounding people with the truth. 
This is proving that Jesus was the Christ. I think he was proving this from the Old Testament, proving this from knowing who Jesus was and knowing things about him already. Saul would have been one who was learned in the scriptures of the Old Testament, and I think already he's starting to realize Jesus meets all of the qualifications. I want to give you this point this way. Point number three. Did I not have that clicked? There we go. Point number three, a true witness testifies about Jesus. A true witness I put underneath that knows Jesus. This becomes all the more important, I think, as you begin to witness and witness and witness, and you're talking about Jesus, and then somebody brings up some, well, yeah, but what about this? And honestly, you as early Christians, as new Christians, as young Christians, even as older Christians, every once in a while you get stumped. What do you do? You go back, you learn, you read the scripture, you ask somebody else that might know, talk to your pastor, right? Talk to somebody that has been in the word for a long time. What about this? I was, and it's amazing how often when I've done this in my own life and I've been stumped, when I started seeking the truth, I went, hey, there's actually a really great answer for that. This Christianity actually holds up to everything I've ever encountered. It holds up as something that's solid. And I love that because, see, you guys know, I'm a math teacher. I love the sciences. I love math. I love truths that stand up to people inspecting them. And this Bible holds up under every ounce of scrutiny I've ever seen in my life. And so Saul here, he, a true witness, testifying about Jesus. He's, is, what did it say? Let me go back. It says, uh, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. By proving it. I can tell you Jesus Christ, and here's how. How does the person get to this point? By getting to know Jesus more. This is one of the reasons why I would tell you over and over again, this is so important why you come to church, and why you read your Bibles, and why you go to Bible studies, and why you try to go to Sunday school, because you've got to know Jesus. The more you learn about Him, the more amazed you get. The more amazed you get, what do you do? The more you talk about him because you're like, this is really, truly amazing. Now, I'm going to take a short detour because this particular time period of Saul's life, he, go, he himself goes into more detail in Galatians. And so some of this I read to you last week. So I'm going to jump over to Galatians chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 13. And I read this last week. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Talked about this a little bit last week. Verse 15 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, man, I'd love to talk about that for a while, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Okay, so now there's a little bit of a timetable question here. Because we're going to read in Acts. He's into, right, he was on his way to Damascus. Okay, and for some of you, this is just a piece of curiosity. I, I like this stuff. So, so Saul, he, was, he left from Jerusalem. He's on his way up to Damascus. On his way is when right, God blinds him with this light. He's converted to Christianity. God speaks to him. He goes on. He continues on his journey, now being led by the hand. We read about that last week. Led by the hand up into Damascus. And there he's there for three days. We know that. Not eating food. 
He's fasting for three days. At the end of the three days, this guy named Ananias, who God had come to, guy named Ananias comes to Saul, and uh, God says, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to um, you know, pray for him. He, I'm going to do amazing things through him, and I'm going to tell him a lot of things he's going to have to suffer as well. So Ananias goes to him. And what's the first word he said? Let's see if anybody remembers from last week. What's the first word? Saul blind. Ananias comes up to him, and the first word he says, what's the first word he says? Brother, Brother right? Brother Saul. And I, I love that. That's why I want to mention it again, because I think that would have been such an encouragement to Saul, who had previously been hunting down Christians. To have the first Christian he meets as a Christian come up to him, the first word he says is, Brother. Prays for him, like scales fall from his eyes. He's, he's healed. We learn now in Acts, what's he do? He immediately goes out. He, does, he, he doesn't take the time to consult anybody. He just goes out. He starts preaching. But now, when he talks about this story later, we're going to find out that there's going to be a little detour that he takes from Damascus. Did you notice, where did he head into? Did you guys see that at the end of this? Arabia. Now, I forgot to put a map up here, but if you imagine a map. Okay. Damascus. Oh, Damascus. Here's Jerusalem down here. Damascus is up north of that. And if you keep going off to the side here, that's where he would have headed off to. And he headed off, I think, into Arabia, because uh, that's what he says. But I think off kind of like into the wilderness. I think of Jesus. I think of John the Baptist. There's so many people, so many prophets of old that take some time to go out into the wilderness and just spend some time with God. I think he doesn't tell us exactly, but I think when he was in Arabia, you know what I think he was doing? I think he was going like this. Wait a Oh, wow. I didn't know that before. Right? Flipping through the Old Testament. Realizing this talks about Jesus. This talks about Jesus. This talks about Jesus. Wait, this does too. This is Jesus. I didn't catch this before. That's Jesus. That's what I think he was doing. I think he went back through the Old Testament, was studying and learning again what this was all about. And in fact, just to add to that, listen to the next verse. This is Galatians 1, so verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. Now, you, you don't catch that when you're reading Acts. When you're reading Acts, Luke doesn't... Luke just kind of skims over this three-year time period. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about the fact that so much time passes. When you read it, it seems like it just, this happened, this happened, this happened. But I think what happened was he gets, he gets saved. The scales come off his eyes. He heads out into Damascus. He's preaching the word. I think he probably got some, you know, he was confounding them. He was proving them wrong. But I think he realized, I need to get, get my, my, my story. Under, I need to understand this a little bit better. So then he heads out to Arabia, spends some time studying. And then he comes back to Damascus after he's in, right? And that's what it said, go back verse, and returned again to Damascus. So what we're reading in Acts, understand that in the story of Acts, where he immediately goes out and preaches, there's going to be this little three-year time span that Luke doesn't mention before this next part in Acts. But I want to give you this point right here, right? I gave you this point a minute ago. A true witness testifies about Jesus. A true witness knows Jesus. Maybe I could put it this way. A true witness gets to know Jesus. Because when you first get saved, you may, there may be tons of things you sit there and go, I don't know any of this stuff about Jesus. I kind of know the basics. You could spend the rest of your life learning Jesus and never get to the end of it. 
I love how John, when John wrote his gospel at the very end, he says, he says, books could not contain everything about this person. Talk to anybody that's been a Christian for years. People that have studied the Bible their whole lives. And they will still, when they're reading the Word, go, I learned something new. It's amazing to me, and I'm not saying this to step on anybody's toes. It's amazing to me how often I meet someone who's a new or a young Christian who feels like they've kind of got the gist of it. And they know what they need to know. That's arrogant. You haven't scratched. I, I'm saying right now, I realize the longer I do this, the less I feel like I know. Like when I first started, just, just, just this part of my, my life as a preacher. When I first started preaching, I, I, I felt like I had something to offer. I felt like, man, I know some stuff. I don't feel that way anymore. At all. I read the scripture. I feel, I feel like a little kid sometimes with the Bible, and I just feel like I'm just... Sometimes I, I, I'll read something and I go, I'm just now starting to get it. And I'm not going to lie to you. It, it annoys me a little bit when you have somebody that's younger than me spiritually. This, I hope this doesn't sound horrible. But I'm, I'm just being honest with you. It annoys me a little bit when I, somebody just starting in Christianity and they feel like they, they've got it figured out. And I'm going, I don't have it figured out. How do you got it figured out? I know I'm just starting to get it. A true witness, though, what do they do? They get to know Jesus. If you're sitting here and say, what, what, ought, what ought I to be doing as a Christian? Get to know Jesus. Read your Bible. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. And again. And again. And again. You'll, ne- you'll never have read it so many times you go, I don't think there's anything else in here I need to learn. The more you read it, the more you realize that you don't know. Come to church. When, when, when you're not here, and there's some amazing preachers on the radio as well way more talented than I am too. They don't say the word right as often as I do. There's some amazing things. Bible studies. I mean, with the internet, there's a bunch of junk on there. There's some amazing stuff on there. You can pull up thousands upon thousands of old sermons that pastors have preached over the years. My favorite, John Piper. I could just listen to his stuff all the time. Learn more about Jesus. A true witness, that's what they do. They want to get to know Jesus. All right, back to Acts chapter 9 again, verse 23. When many days had passed, wow, Luke, that's a nice way to summarize something, isn't it? Three years in Arabia, when many days... I actually do this myself. Sometimes I go, man, you know the other day I did this, and I'm referring to something that happened like three years ago. Um, Luke, when many days had passed... Oh, really, Luke... uh, The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Man, how the tables have turned. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This doesn't always work out quite like this for Saul. 
There's a lot of times where it turns out much, much worse. This particular time, I think God says, uh, I got a whole bunch of other things for you to do. I'm not re- this. Let's just get out. And so I, I, I love picturing him being then lowered out the, you know, I picture these cities sometimes having these walls around the city, the main part of the city. And uh, there's a lot of stories from the Old Testament where similar things happened. And I can just picture them getting a basket big enough for him to sit in, first of all, and then rope tied to it. And then these disciples going, okay, one. And Saul sitting in the basket going down. Did not see this happening in my life, you know. When I, when I headed up to Damascus, I did not picture leaving this way. But that's what happened. Point number four, a true witness will be hated because of Jesus. This is less of something that you do. If you're doing things to try to be hated, you're probably being a jerk. A true, a true witness, though, will be hated because of Jesus. Jesus warns about this many times. Uh, let me just share a couple with you. Um, Matthew 10, 22 says, and this is Jesus speaking, and I, I put this one up here because I thought, we don't have to try to figure this out. He's pretty direct here, isn't he? And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You don't need a commentary to figure that out. Matthew 24, 9 Jesus speaking again, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He goes on in that passage to talk about how no servant is greater than their master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. I used to think if I could be the exact best kind of Christian, everybody would love it. And in one sense, that's kind of true, isn't it? Christianity is amazing. Jesus is amazing. If you could really understand what it is, I think you'd love it. But Jesus tells us they're not going to understand. And I used to think, maybe if I explained it better, if I could just say it just the right way. If there's anybody on the planet that ever explained who Jesus was clearly, it was probably Jesus. And yet people still hated him. And he tells us, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Mark 13, 13. Again, he says it, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul, Saul, at this particular time, I wouldn't be surprised if he thought similar things because he was so dead set against Jesus and when he understood the truth and he went and he's proving it to him, I, I would imagine there was some degree of thinking in his head, and I don't know this, but I, I would imagine there was some degree of thinking that, man, I, I can explain this to them because they, I, I'm coming from where they're at. Surely I'll be able to explain it. And he was to some degree proving it to them, but there were still many who hated him and they were like, we're ready to kill you now, buddy. If you're of this world, this world wouldn't hate you. But because you're not of this world, the world is going to hate you. It's a reality. And it ought to be a reality. And I think it could even be a bit of a litmus test. You guys know what that is? Litmus test to see. Am I really living and being the witness I ought to be? And there ought to be people that are opposed to Jesus that they start to hate you. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 26 continues on. When he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And as you can imagine, they were all afraid of him, but they did not believe that he was a disciple. I love this guy. But Barnabas, he goes out on a limb, doesn't he? You know what the name Barnabas means? I'll see if any of you that have been Christians for a while, somebody, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this one. Anybody know what the name Barnabas means? Oh, I thought somebody would know this. Yes, there it is. I knew somebody would know. It means son of encouragement. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, encourages Saul. Says He's willing to meet with Saul. And Barnabas then takes him and brought him to the disciples. He's vouching for them, vouching for Saul. Brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I'd love to spend a little bit of time on Barnabas. I'm going to spend a little bit just mentioning him on the side here in just a minute. But at point number five, I want to give this one first. A true witness seeks fellowship and is sought for fellowship with Jesus' people. I also believe this can be a bit of a litmus test as well. I'm concerned when I talk to people who say they love Jesus, but they don't go to church. That's concerning to me for a multitude of reasons. The first reason would not be because the Bible says you have to go to church. I I could show you that verse. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's in there. Don't forsake this. This is important. But that's not my number one reason why I would be concerned. I would be concerned because over and over and over and over again, when you see somebody get to know Jesus, you know what they always want to do? They always want to find other people that are just like Jesus. And they want a fellowship. And so it concerns me when I see people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I just... In fact, I've had people say, I love Jesus, I just don't really like church. I'm going, that doesn't make any sense. How is that possible? It's interesting when you dig in, and this isn't in my notes, but it's interesting when you dig into those questions and why, why someone might say that. Quite often, it's because the, the church is full of sinners, and I want to go, what did you expect? That's a prerequisite to get in. You come here and you're not a sinner. You're at the wrong place. This is for sinners. If you're a sinner, come on in. And I think sinners that know they're sinners and know they're saved by grace, they love being with other people who are sinners and know they're sinners and love the fact that they're just saved by God's just grace. By the way, it's one of the things I love about this church. I don't think we have a very much at all of the the pompous, I'm really good, and that's why I'm here. I, I love it because I think most of you come in here and you go, I'm messed up. And I messed up last week too. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to mess up this week. I'd like to mess up a little less. And so I'm here. I want to hear about Jesus. And I know when I hear about Jesus... Mess up less. Because they think about how great he is. True witnesses love Jesus. And they just want to be around people that love Jesus too. I think it's interesting when I think about Barnabas. 
True witness seeks fellowship and is sought for fellowship. I want to encourage you that there's nothing wrong at all with with going up to somebody that says they're a Christian, doesn't go to church, and going up to them saying, I want you to come to church. I want you to be there. I want you to be around some more people. You don't have to say, you should go to church because the Bible says you go to church. You can do that too, by the way. Especially if they say, I don't think I should have to go to church. <laughs> well, actually, the Bible says you should. Um, I think there's something about just, you, you meet these people and you go, I, I want you to be there too. And in a very real sense, all you're doing is going, I, I feel like you're missing out. So I want to encourage you to, to, to go out. And those people that you know, they go, yeah, I love Jesus. You say, well, you should go to church. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I know it sounds weird for me to have to say that. And maybe you're sitting here going, I never thought it was wrong to say that. But I think that some of us, we feel kind of bad like when we meet somebody. Because on one hand, we want to go, and to some sense, this person, we want to validate their understanding that, that God is a personal God that they can meet with anywhere they want to. And we want to validate that. That's true. I'm telling you right now, you ought to then go the next step and say, but you should still go to church. And be a part of a body of believers. You should do this, and you should do it all the time. You should do it as much as you can. And the should ceases to be a should like the pointing the finger should. And more like the should that you get when you go to King's Island, and you ride the beast, and you have a great time, and you come off and you go, man, you should ride that! It's a different kind of should, isn't it? It's that kind of should that we ought to be doing. Some of you going, I would never do that with a roller coaster. I understand. But with church, with the real deal, with the real thing, you ought to be leaving this place, and I hope that you do. I hope, I really do. I hope that you do. I hope you leave this place and you go, man, you should try Edgewood. And this is the real thing. We're screwed up there, but we love Jesus. You should come on in. Try it sometime. You won't regret it. I want to hop back over to Galatians for just a moment. I read this verse, verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. He says, he goes on to say, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Uh, In what I am writing uh, to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us. Uh, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. I just want to throw that in there just to show that just a different perspective on what we're going to read in Acts. I'll jump back over to Acts now. Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. We were introduced to the Hellenists a few chapters ago. Uh, the Hellenists were some that were had come down. They were the Greek-speaking Jews that were come down, and they were kind of starting the thing against Stephen. Now Saul is speaking against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. That's his hometown, which is way up north in Turkey. But I want to give you this point. In the middle of all these things that are going on, there's a couple things that I want to point out. And we're almost done with these points. Point number six, though, a true witness is bold, just like Jesus. A true witness is bold. Did you catch that? 
He went in and out among them at Jerusalem boldly preaching Jesus, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. A true witness is going to be bold, just like Jesus. Jesus was bold. We're talking about that in Sunday school this morning, how often he was just bold in what he, he would say about the truth. A true witness is filled with that boldness to speak. There's a, there's a certain courage and bravery that comes along with the more you get to know Jesus. It inspires that. And the Spirit of God fills you up with that. And a true witness will be bold, just like Jesus was bold. This passage ends, Acts 9.31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So I want to give you this final point here, point number seven. Oh, I'm sorry, they didn't click through. Um, Point number seven, true witnesses, plural this time. And I put it this way, have peace in the middle. I don't know if you caught that as I was reading this last, that, that last verse. They, they were right in the middle. It doesn't say anything about the persecution stopping. So let me go back there. Uh, so we have them being persecuted. Saul is being threatened with death by the Hellenists. It doesn't say anything in this verse about the persecution being let up. It just says that they had peace. They had peace. Now that can mean a lot of things. I don't think that it means that they had... Uh, that the, the persecution ended because the whole rest of Acts is full of ongoing, unstopping persecution again and again and again and again. I think this peace was different. I think it was peace, true witnesses of Christ, right in the middle of whatever's going on in their life, they have peace. They sit back, they relax, so to speak, mentally, and they say, God's got this, God's in control. And, and, and this persecution I might be experiencing these, or for Saul, these threats in my life, this might be just be pushing me to another place. He's had that twice now. First, he's pushed out of Damascus. He escapes. Now he's headed up to Tarsus. And we know that much of the rest of his ministry is all up in that direction. Thinks God is leading, guiding, directing where he's going to go. He'd gone back to Jerusalem, but now where is he? He's being led up to Tarsus. And I think eventually we're going to find out he's, he, calls himself the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and he eventually makes his way all the way to Rome, we find out. Much of the rest of the book of Acts is about Saul's journeys, once he becomes known as Paul, going from city to city, boldly preaching the gospel. So for you, whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever challenge that's happened, whatever cha- life change is going on, I think that you, right in the middle of all of it, can have peace and say, okay, God, where are, you, where are you pointing me? Where are you taking me to? Just like Saul, you wouldn't have known the whole rest of the story. He may have thought when he left Jerusalem, man, I really was hoping to minister in Jerusalem. He may have thought, I'd like to have spent more time in Damascus. God first sends him back to his hometown. I think the same is true for you. If you're a true witness, you can have peace in the middle of whatever is going on. To know that in whatever situation, and let me, let me just say it this way. I think you'll find as a a Christian, what you do as a Christian becomes less about what you do and more about what you're doing. Let me explain. That would be very confusing. 
becomes less about what you do, like your job, your occupation, your this, that all these situations becomes. You'll find as a Christian, it becomes less and less about these things, and more and more about what you're going to do in the middle of all those things. You'll start to feel that way about jobs and careers and and houses and neighborhoods and everything else. This and this and for so many. It's so important what you're doing in your career and your life. All these things are so, so important. As a Christian, you'll find that these things kind of start to fade into the background. And they just become a setting for how you can be a witness. And God might move you from one job to another, from this place to another, from this town to another. And it becomes less and less important the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're a witness. Because every single one of the life changes you experience, you just start to realize it's just a new setting. For me to be a witness. New opportunity for me to be a witness. True witnesses have peace right in the middle of whatever it is that's going on. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And as I close, I want to encourage you as you go through this week to think about what are you going to do? Maybe you started off You got saved, you became a Christian. Whatever, we were talking about this last Wednesday, in our Bible study, we were talking about, when did this happen? Most of us were like, we don't know. But I know I am now. And maybe you've gone through those first steps. You've been converted to Christianity, you're a believer in the way, and you got baptized, and not to be silly about it, but you've had the meal, and you're fellowshipping with other Christians, right? We're doing these things. But where do you go after this? And I want to say it can be summarized with this word, witness. You are a witness to something spectacular. So start looking at your life differently. Instead of looking at your life about, I need to try to get this and this and this and this, let all those things fade into the background as a setting for how you can be a witness to the truth of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you again for this day. And Lord, I would just want to pray for those that are in this room today. Lord, that we would be bold in our witness as we proclaim you. God, I pray that you'd help us as we go through the week to be like Barnabas a little bit and encourage those that might not be here, Lord. I know that some, they they can't make it every week because of jobs and there's other things. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us with those that are just unfaithful to be here. I pray that you help us to encourage them to come again and again and again. Lord, we have much ammunition for why they ought to come. They ought to come to get to know you. You're worth it. They ought to come for the fellowship, to be around others who believe the same way. They ought to come to be encouraged. Or they ought to come to be better witnesses when they go back out. God, help us this week to be encouragements to those that call on you and say that they call on you, but aren't seeking to be good witnesses for you. Lord, I pray all of this with the hope that those that leave this building today will will be good witnesses, will testify, will proclaim, and will do it boldly. I pray that you'd fill them with courage, that you'd fill them with your spirit, that I ask that you would give them understanding of your word as they read it, or that you'd give them insights into your personality, 
to your person. Pray that you'd be real to everyone in this room so that they could leave today going, I know Jesus, and I just want to get to know more. I pray that the fount, the fountain of their, their witness would be from that relationship that they have with you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.